Today in our text, we learn about the importance of helping each other in our walk with Christ, that we are a part of the body of Christ. And when one part hurts, we all feel it. The Bible tells us that we have been baptized by, by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ and that we are one body with many members. We are one that have many members. And in that passage in 1 Corinthians 12, it compares it to our body so that I am one body, but I have ears, I have eyes, I have hands, I have feet. And if my, my hand is hurt, I don't ignore my hand. I don't say, well, you're not my mind, so I don't care. It, it's not my foot, so I can still walk around, so I don't care. No, when I injure my hand, it becomes the most important part of my body at that particular point in time, especially if I injure it severely. It becomes what needs the most care. And because we are a body, when one of us hurts, we all should be supporting and feeling it and helping one another. This may be one of the least things that we find in the Bible that's done. We've spent the last week in the book of Galatians talking about not quarreling, not fighting, not being contentious, not having divisions among us, but being of one mind, of one heart, having a love for one another, forgiving one another. So Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, he's been talking about the way we fulfill the law of Christ, the way we please him, because we don't, we don't keep the law anymore. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the law will be done away with until it is completed or fulfilled. Jesus completed it. He fulfilled it. So we don't follow it anymore. Or better, better said, we fulfill the law in Christ. We fulfill the law by loving one another. And here again, we fulfill the law by bearing each other's bur uh, burdens. Paul has made it abundantly clear in the book of Galatians that we are not under the law. We are set free from sin and death and what the law could not do, Christ did for us. And I just want to say it again, kind of on record. If you run into somebody in the future that tells you that you have to keep the law or a portion of it, that you have to keep the dietary parts of the law or the festival parts of the law or the new moons of the law or the Sabbaths. There's different Sabbaths, any of the Sabbaths. These things, Colossians tells us, are shadows of things to come. And so people are obsessed with the shadows instead of the reality. Let me give you just a few verses. This is just kind of looking back over what we've studied in the book of Galatians. It's just a handful of verses to help us to understand clearly that we have been set free from the law. I also want to say, when someone tells you that you have to do something in order to be saved, that you've got to keep some sacrament, that you've got to be baptized, that you've got to speak in tongues, that you've got to go to church on Saturday, when someone adds something to salvation, Jesus is good, Jesus died on the cross for you, so it's Jesus plus the law. Can't be. Jesus plus going to church on Saturday. Can't be. Jesus plus baptism. Can't be. Jesus plus anything contaminates the gospel of Jesus Christ and turns it into a completely different gospel. So in Galatians 2.16, making this statement, giving it, making it abundantly clear that we are not under the law, Paul says this, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. 
Even we have believed in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, even we, because he's a Pharisee. He has everything that these legalists are telling him. He goes on to say that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, for by works of the law, no flesh is justified. That is so clear. By the law or by works of the law, no flesh is justified. You can't be justified by what you do. Now, let's just think about it. We know the Bible says that, but just think about it. What can you do that is good enough for you to make it to heaven? What can you do? How can you earn it? What can you give that you can earn eternity? This is, what, this is why it can't be done. And if I can earn it, then I receive a payment for what I've earned, but God's given me grace, undeserved favor, which I don't have to earn, which is eternity. But, but I don't think any of us are under any kind of illusions that we could do something to be saved. If salvation could come by any work, Jesus would have had you do that work instead of going to the cross. It is a gift from God. It is not of works. It is by faith, lest anyone should boast. Let me give you another one. Galatians 3, 1 through 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This I only want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that you are now made perfect in the flesh? Let me give you another one. Galatians 5.14 For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you walk in love, it fulfills the law. Let me just give you one more. Galatians 6, 13. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. Their evangelism of the legalist was among Christians, trying to get Christians, genuine Christians, to believe in their legalism that they could boast in their flesh. Because if you can do something to be saved, then you're going to boast in it. But if you are saved by grace, then we trust in what Christ has done for us. So in our text, we learn one more way that we fulfill the law without keeping the law. That's, what he's, that's the point he's bringing up here. He says, bear one another's burdens. This is Galatians 6, 2. This is right in the middle of our text. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When I see you struggling, when you see me struggling, when we see somebody else in, in the church struggling, we're to come alongside of them and lift them up and support them. The exact opposite of what we just learned at the end of chapter five. He was talking about them attacking one another, devouring one another, being contentious. The last thing we're supposed to do in the church is to hurt a, a part of our body. It, it'd be like my hand picking up a hammer, putting down my hand, and smashing it. And then saying, why did you do that? We are hurting ourselves when we slander, gossip, attack, tear down, destroy the faith of other people around us. It is part of our own body. And that is why we are to bear one another's burdens. 
He now comes to the positive. We need to stop attacking one another. He literally says, stop biting each other because you're going to devour yourself because you're, you're one body in Christ. And so when you, as a Christian, get hurt by another Christian and you attack that Christian, you are now attacking your body spiritually because you were baptized into that body. And so we bear one another's burdens. And by that, I'm loving. When, when I'm struggling and you come alongside of me to help me instead of to tear me down, when you defend me rather than jumping on what somebody says, then you lift me up. And by doing that, you are lifting yourself up in, in, in the right way, by the way, not exalting yourself, but you're taking care of your own body. And that's why we need to take care of one another because we are one body. Now let's read our text. I want to read it first and then I want to take time to unpack it. So Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Now, now the first thing that I think of when I think about this passage is a question that I get a lot. Because in the King James, verse 2 reads, bear one another's burdens. And verse 5 reads, this is the King James Version. Some of you have it in front of you. You'll know this. For each one shall bear his own burden. And so it reads, bear one another's burden, and each one shall bear his own burden. And the question is, how does that make sense? Is this contrary? Was Paul writing something contrary right away in this? The context for, uh, for this passage really helps us. Now, the New King James reads, for each one shall bear his load. And in verse 2, bear his burdens. These are two different Greek words, and he's dealing with two different issues. The first Greek word is the Greek word that you would use. We're going to use a donkey as an example. This is the ancient world, so we're using a donkey. So it's you have a donkey, and you overload it. You put too much on that donkey. And then you would say, that donkey has a burden. There's a word in the Greek that would describe something that is too much. You have a truck, fellas that's rated for a certain weight and you fill it up with, you know, just throw concrete in the back and dirt and just any, you know, iron and lead and you weigh it down by three times as much as the truck can take. So that when you start to drive, the, the shocks and the springs can't hold it. So it just literally lands on the tires and will not go anywhere. There's a word in the Greek for that burden. That's the first word for burden. So it, literally, brethren, uh, verse two, bear one another's extremely heavy, too heavy burden. That's the idea. When someone is burdened to where they can't handle it, then you come and you help them. The second word for burden in verse five, now we use our donkey again, is to properly load the donkey. I, I don't know. I'm not an expert in loading donkeys. All right. But I would assume that you want to put the weight, you want to distribute it equally. You want to put the weight in a certain point, maybe higher up on its back where it can handle it, maybe more towards its shoulders. 
because it would seem that the shoulders would be better to take the weight. I'm spitballing here. I have no idea how to load up a donkey. I'm just saying this word is for properly loading up a donkey for travel. We go to our truck analogy. It would be you putting a certain amount of concrete. You're clearing out a concrete pad. You're breaking up and hauling it away. You put in enough to where you realize that's about the weight of the truck. I could drive forever and be okay. I'm going to take this and come back and get the rest. Even though there's more room in the truck, the truck is only rated for a certain amount of weight. You now have the proper weight there. This word would be used when you're traveling. And in their day, they would tie their bundles up to, to, to travel with them. And then they would be able to walk forever with those bundles. In our day, if you're a hiker, then you know that you have to use the backpack properly. And probably want to get, if you're going to go a long distance, you're going to probably want to get a backpack that's got a frame on it. Because you're going to be able to get the frame up on your shoulders. You're going to be able to take the weight over your body instead of a normal like school backpack that you load up and it hangs low on your back and you end up walking up the mountain like you're kind of like, well, I'm, I don't know how far I can walk this way. If you were loaded up that way, that would be the first word for burden. But if you had it up on a proper, you know, a hiking backpack where it is up on your shoulders and over your structure of your body to carry it, that's the second one. So we are going to have to carry our own loads. We'll talk about what that load is, but it's a load we can walk with the rest of our lives. But when we see someone struggling under a burden, then we are to respond and run over and lift that burden with them and get that burden off of them because it is a crushing burden that they need lifted. And we all need help from time to time. All of us, every single one of us. Even those that you think are so with it and together, they don't need help at all. We all need people around us who will have compassion and help us at certain times. So what is the context then of this passage? It is bearing one another's burdens. It is someone who's overtaken in sin. And the larger context is in treating each other properly. And I've said before, I believe that this is the, the, the thing God cares about the most. I, I wonder what people care about when they're looking for, looking for a church. I, what are they really looking for? I'm gonna, this is the church I'm going to go to. What we really ought to be looking for, is this a place that I'm going to be supported? Is this a place that I'm going to really find the things that God wants for me from the body? Is this body of Christ that is here a body that will support me when I need help? Or is it someone who will tear me down and, and trash me? And that happens in churches. And churches become what's not supposed to be. So the, the, very, the verse right in front of verse 1 in chapter 6, this is Galatians 5.26. Remember, the chapters were put in by somebody later on. So he goes from chapter 5, verse 26 to 6.1. So chapter 5, verse 26 says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in trespass, you who are superior, spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. The introduction to that section on the flesh and the spirit is Galatians 5.15. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So the whole flesh, the deeds of the flesh and fruits of the spirit is for us to interact with each other properly. If I am being driven by my flesh, then I am contentious. I have outbirths of wrath. I am divisive. I am malicious. I want to hurt people. And, and that happens within the church. 
But if we are walking by the Spirit, then there is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And now we become the church that Christ wants us to be. And we can nourish our own body. We can nourish one another so that you are healthy and strong in Christ. And when we love each other, the world knows that we are his disciples. So let's break down our passage. He starts off by saying, brethren, and so this man overtaken in a trespass is first of all a brother. This is not a non-believer. It's amazing how often when you look at a passage like this that is taught, the kind of things that people say. I've, I've literally sat in a teaching in a church that was, it was a Reformed church, and I had a feeling that every sermon they did was about Reformed theology. There's a certain, there are certain theologies and certain things that a church is into that they can manipulate every passage to say what they want it to say. And so they said, this person is not saved. That's the first thing they start off. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in trespass, they said, that person's not saved. And I'm like, what? It's all about the family of God. It's all about the body of Christ. It's about us bearing each other. It says it there in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. So we're going to this guy to help him so we can bear one another's burdens. He is definitely, most definitely saved. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, and look at the way that this is said. Now, we know that the word trespass means sin. We know that it's connected to sin. Trespass, sin is when you know something is wrong and there's something inherently wrong in it. Trespass is when you are trespassing. There might not be anything inherently wrong in it, but you're trespassing. So it says, if a man is overtaken, this word could literally be translated slip. Have you ever heard anybody criticize making the statement, I fell into sin? And people say, well, you can't just fall into sin. Here's the truth. We sin every day without knowing it. We, we, we want to walk with Christ and we make a decision. Sometimes we'll make a decision to do what we, we know is right to do and we'll end up going through our day and we'll trespass. We'll just cross the line without even thinking about it and then realize I, I crossed the line. So the idea is that this person is trapped by it. He is overtaken by sin. Sin has grabbed him and put him into chains and he is bound by it. It is sin has placed a heavy burden on him. The Bible tells us that sin is destructive and brings about death. Jesus saw sin this way. Others saw sin, unfortunately, the way that a lot of people see sin today in the church. They see someone that's wrapped up in sin or an addiction, some kind of a problem, and they look down on them and say, I'm glad I'm not like them. Does that remind you of anybody? How about Simon the Pharisee that had Jesus over to his house? And a prostitute wandered in, fell at the feet of Jesus, wept at his feet. Think about it. She's overwhelmed with the burden of sin. Jesus sees her trapped and he sees her remorse and he sees her guilt and everyone else is looking at her and judging her for what she's done. But Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I've got a question for you. If someone is forgiven much, will they love much? And if they're forgiven little, will they love little? And he said, well, if they're forgiven much, they love much. And he said, and you're right. And he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven you. And he forgave her. He saw her as one trapped in that sin. When we see someone trapped in a sinful lifestyle, maybe it's very visible sinful lifestyle. 
even apart from Christ. They are sinners who have been trapped by sin. Sin is incredibly powerful. It is so powerful that even after we have been forgiven, even after we have been set free from it, we still fall into it. If anybody says, I have no sin, the Bible says they're a liar. So imagine being out in the world. And we, can't, we, we, can't, we can imagine because we've been there. And facing sin, which is destructive by nature and which deceives us. And people get deceived and they get trapped. So this man, this woman in the church is overtaken. They're ensnared. They're trapped by sin. And the idea is, is that sin has had its destructive qualities revealed in them. They're under the burden of it. Maybe they feel guilty. Maybe they feel ashamed. Maybe they don't know what to do to get out of it. Maybe it's lended itself to an addiction. And I just want you to know that I want our church to be a place where you can get help. One of the things that's happening to people today is an addiction. And they say that marijuana isn't a physical addiction, but it certainly can be a mental addiction. If there's something that you are struggling with, let us help you in what you're struggling with. Let us come alongside of you and give you help. If a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual. And so now the individual that knows the Lord, that has things right, you who are spiritual, go to such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, we'll talk in a moment about being spiritual, what that means. So we'll come back to that. But let's consider the spirit of gentleness. I've never found anything in the scriptures that say that we're supposed to be harsh in what we do towards one another. There are certainly times to, to make a stand and to say to someone, you can no longer come to the church because you, there's sin in your life that's unrepented and you can no longer come here. And our goal is to see you restored, to see you repent from this. That's our goal. But never should we, could we are justified in ever saying anything. In a, in a mean kind of a way. Not that long ago, we had told someone because they were divisive that they can't come to the church. And I walked in and I saw them out in our coffee shop. And I went up and I said, you're not supposed to be here. And we had a very polite conversation where I said, you can't be here. And he said, yes, I can. I said, no, you really can't. He said, yes, I can. He said, this is a public place. I said, it's really not. It's a private place. And we can ask people to leave. And I told him, well, I'll go, I'll go. You know, we've got a police officer out here. I'll go get the police officer. You can talk to them. So when we got the police officer, they came back and they escorted him out. But there was no reason to be rude to him at that point, even though we're saying, because you're divisive, you cannot be here. There was no reason. And he wasn't rude to me either. He was as nice as could be as he's telling me, I'm not going to leave. I've got a right to be here. I'm going to be here. Okay. Uh, so 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26 says this about us Christians. And the servant of the Lord. So you guys are servant of the Lord. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. That's number one. We are not to quarrel. Stop fighting about theology. Stop fighting about what, whether the Bible says this or that. I tell people, I will not argue with you. Sometimes they don't hear me. And they just keep going. And I'm like, I am not going to argue with you. The Bible says the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. It's a command. You must not quarrel. 
Now, I got to be honest with you. When I was younger, learned the scriptures pretty quick. And that bred arrogance. Knowledge brings arrogance. Love edifies. Knowledge puffs up. And I like to argue. There was a time I really liked it. But it says, I must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. There's our word gentle again. Gentle to all, able to teach, patience, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. So if there's an opposition that needs to be corrected and you are gentle and you are loving and you are patient, you're much more likely to be heard. And when someone wants to argue with me, I like to tell them, you can tell me what you believe. And if you want to hear what I believe, I'll tell you. But I have no desire to argue with you. And then it says, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. So this passage tells us that we're not to quarrel because people are ensnared again by the devil. We want to pray that God would grant them repentance so they will escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive to do his will. So again, we want to go in a spirit of gentleness. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you. So this is a brother that does something against you. They sin against you. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Go try to resolve it alone. That's the direction of Jesus. I love how often people will say, you've got a Matthew 18, this person. And I'll say, okay, have you gone to him alone yet? No, he won't listen to me. I, wouldn't, I can't go to him alone. You don't understand what's going on. Well, take your step first. Do your step first. Then we'll go on to the next step. It says, if he hears you, you have gained a brother. It's, it's, it's a, a no-lose situation. You are already estranged from him. So if you go to him and he hears you, then you've gained him. Ephesians 4.32 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is one of the ways we, we grieve the Holy Spirit. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, bitterness grows when you have something unresolved with someone. When you won't resolve something with someone. The Bible says, the man who is wise yields to another. It's a passage out of James. I can't remember the address right now, but I love the verse because it tells me that if you come to me, I should yield to you that we might be able to solve the problem. If you're wise, you're going to yield. It says, um, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with malice. Malice is the desire to hurt someone. So this is bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking with malice. Let it be put away and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ's sake has forgiven you. I think this is the first thing it says. With all gentleness, go to the person that's under a burden. You really love them. You really care about them. You're going with a gentleness. If it's genuine, they're going to see that. It may be hard to break through, but it's the first way to come alongside and help someone that has that problem. Now, it goes on to say then, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. It says, uh, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Now, here we want to talk about what spiritual is as well. When you approach someone who's under a burden, and this burden is a trespass, that, they're, that they, they're, they're, it's heavy upon them, you don't go to them like, I've got everything together and I now want to help you out, straighten you out. 
1 Corinthians 12, 10, 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When you think you stand, that's when you can fall. That's exactly what Peter did. Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And Peter said, Lord, even if all these others die, die uh, if all these other betray you, I will die for you. And Jesus says, will you, Peter? Before this night's over, you'll deny me three times. And Peter said, I won't. And he was overconfident and he denied him. Know uh, that we are all like sheep who are prone to go astray. No, we all have struggles and difficulties. And so the first thing to do is to evaluate yourself. And this is how Jesus said to evaluate. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Again, your brother's got something that needs to be corrected and you've got a plank in your own eye. How do you make yourself spiritual to be able to go and help that brother that has a speck in his eye? And having a piece of dirt in your eye is irritating and a drag. And if someone's going to help you, then great. It says, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Now he's using exaggeration, making a funny picture to make the point. First, remove the plank out of your eye. That, then you will be righteous. You will have things right between you and God. And you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. But don't go and remove someone's speck. You are spiritual. If you have something going on in your life, you haven't surrendered everything to Christ, then don't go to that person. Let someone who is spiritual, doesn't mean they're perfect, but they have things right with God. And before you ever go to try to help someone, make sure that things are right with you. Then we're told to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is why he's even talking about this. Because this is part of what we do. It's part of what the law tried to do. Have you help each other out? Do you know that the Sabbath day had exceptions in it that you could break it? If you're at home on the Sabbath day and your neighbor's gone and his donkey fell into a ditch, you had to go and bring the donkey out. Not only were you required to break the Sabbath, I mean, to, to not keep the Sabbath day, you were required to break it to help your, your neighbor out. And this is now what we do through Christ. The law was trying to do it. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, it says, and this is the passage I quoted earlier, for as the body is one and has many members, so all the members of that body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all have been made to drink of, this, of one spirit. For in fact, the body is not, is, for the body is not one member, but many. So it's one body, many members, just like my body is one body with many members. And if we bite and devour and tear down one another, then we're not doing good for the body of Christ. In verse 3, he says, For if anyone thinks himself something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now we're learning again what a person ought to consider. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So what kind of things can you have in your life when you're going to help someone with a heavy burden? You think more of yourself than you ought to. Pride. Pride is one of those things that can make you highly ineffective. Why? Because pride comes before a fall. It is easy for us to think that we are better than someone who's taken in a, in a, in a trespass. Romans 12, 3 says, I say to you, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
Don't think yourself yourself better than anyone, but think soberly as God has dealt one and uh, each one a measure of faith. Philippians 2, 2 through 4 says, Fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being in one accord, and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others as better than himself. And let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. Th these are principles that are so all over the New Testament. How we are supposed to live the things that we are supposed to do. So you examine yourself and make sure that you're humble, that you aren't thinking of yourself as better than them or better than people that are, are around you. Verse four says, but e let each one examine his own work. Now, why would you examine your work? Because work is the fruit or the evidence of what's happened inside of your heart. So before you start judging someone else, you consider the output of your life. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone. Meaning, it's not my job to run around and judge you. I can look at my own work. And if I see fruit in my life, then I can rejoice in, my, in, in, the, in the fruit that I have. Then he says, for each one will bear his own load. For each one of us has to look at our own lives and see the, the fruit that we have in our lives. This is why you consider yourself because you have the responsibility of the fruit in your life. Let me give you a few verses and then a couple thoughts in closing. A few verses on us bearing our own burdens and looking at our work when we're going to approach someone. This is a way, again, that, that we consider ourselves. In Romans 14, 12 through 13, it says, so then each of us, uh, let me read it from the beginning. So then each of us shall give account of himself before God. This is Christians. We will give an account to God. Therefore, let us judge, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a case to fall in our brother's way. We will all one day answer to him for what we've done. So we should resolve that we're never going to put a stumbling block in front of someone else. I, I wonder if we were able to interview all of you guys here, if we set up a little interview table, if we were to ever ask you if Christians ever hurt you, if you were ever went to a church that you ended up leaving because somebody did something to you that hurt you, that caused you to say, I'm out of here. I'll guarantee you there are people that will never walk into a church again because people have not acted the way this passage is telling us to act. They put a stumbling block in front of people 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10 says this, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, this is the Bema seat where we are being judged for the things we've done. Our motives will be looked at and they will be burned with fire and wood, stay and help, wood, wood, hay and stubble will be burned away and jewels will remain. And I like to think, well, what do we need jewels for in heaven? Why will we receive jewels? But what remains as jewels, think of this, is your honest motives in doing good things. It's things you did for God. They produce jewels. 
And if the only thing that you do with those jewels, because you had the right motives to do it, if the only thing you do with them is gather them together, for some people it might be, get me a wheelbarrow, get me a dump truck, let me get all these jewels out of here. For other people, it'll be like, all right, let me, let me get. I brought in a truckload and here's my jewels. If the only thing we do with those things that were really done for Christ is bring them to him and say, Lord, here, this is, is when my heart was right. This is when I did what was right. Other times I did it for the wrong motives and I received no jewels. If that's all it is, I like to think that. I don't know that that case can be made. I do know the 24 elders cast their crowns before the throne. And whatever rewards we get, I like to think that we give it back to Christ, if that's the only reason for them. But we're going to know. That's what it's about. We're going to know. And if we would today say, Lord, help me to do what I do for people out of an honest and sincere heart, that I might have it tested and stand up on that day it's tested. Three things in closing. Let's put away maliciousness, arguments, divisions, slanders, tearing down, attacking, jealousies. The reason we start talking bad about people is because we are envious of them. Put away envy. Put away jealousies. Make it our aim to walk in love towards one another, to uplift. And if we say anything, we say good things. Love believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Put away these malicious things from us and don't think that you won't be tempted for it to happen. Because as soon as you say, well, I never speak bad about anyone. Someone will do something and there you go. You're off and running. Just remember, we will be tested in these things. And when someone does something against us, we are kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, even as Christ forgave us. Number two, help someone taken in a trespass. When, when you look at sinners, maybe look at them like Jesus looked at them. Not that the scribes and Pharisees looked at them. Scribes and Pharisees said, how is it that Jesus could eat with sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus said, the son of man only came that sinners would be saved. He came for people trapped in sin. That's why he came. Maybe we could see people the way Christ sees them. Finally, approach the people around you, not just when it's correction, but at all times with gentleness, humility, looking to be able to minister to them, putting their interest above your own interest. I love that Philippians 2 says, don't look out only for your own interest. You have your own interest to look out for. You have to be wise, but you're not only to look out for your own, but look out for those around you. Look for ways to serve, to minister, to care for people around you. I have a friend who it just seems like it's nat his, his nature to do this. He's always thinking of the other person. And I got a saying that I say to him, you know, we got WW Jesus, would Jesus do? I know WW, what would, 
and I don't want to say his name because he might hear it. But it really is true. You can live your life for other people. You can, you can take the last place so someone else can have the first. You could take the least so they could have the best. You could live the life that Christ has told us to live and help bear one another's burden when a trespass has taken them, when they are taken by a trespass. May we see them set free. What a great passage. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you as we take time to look at this passage on a day that we've taken communion, as we remember that you put our interest above your own interests. And Lord, help us that we might put all malice, contention, divisions, slanders, jealousy, envy, we may put them all aside and start living for you as we live for people, doing what we do for them for you, doing what we do for you through them. And we pray, Lord, that this would be our way of life, that this would be what we are known for, not because we're part of Calvary Chapel, but because we're your children and we want to do what you want us to do. And your word is life. So may, may we put away these malicious things. Lord, convict where conviction needs to be and let there not be condemnation, but let there be real conviction. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.